Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. So this is a big week for us here uh, in the United States because, as all of us know, uh, this coming uh, July 4th is the celebration of our independence as a nation. It's our birthday, so to speak, here in America. And so we want to celebrate this week, uh, and, and yet to do that, I think we have to move into this celebration with complete honesty and humility in recognizing that we cannot just recognize our independence by one date, but by at least three. So, of course, July the 4th, 1776, our Declaration of Independence as a country was the birthday of America. But it actually wasn't until almost 100 years later. On January the 1st, 1863, that by executive order, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, among other things, it changed the federal legal status of the estimated 3.5 million enslaved African Americans, granting them their freedom here in our country. That was on January the 1st, 1863. Do you know how many began to live and experience their freedom on January the 2nd, 1863? None of them. Because though that was signed into law, it actually wasn't until June 19th, 1865, that the Confederacy fell, and finally throughout the United States, throughout these Confederate states, they began to recognize the Emancipation Proclamation as law in their states, Texas being the final one. That was actually when we as a country began to recognize our freedom our independence. So if we're going to be humble and honest as we move as a country into this week, we cannot just recognize one date. We've got to recognize at least three. And it's a movement that is continuing today where people are still living out, experiencing the fullness of their freedom in many different ways. So if we really as a country believe in life, liberty, and justice for all, then we must celebrate and recognize the freedom that came to all who didn't experience that freedom when our country was born. And as we continue to live, as the Word of God tells us, as our vision here tells us, as we continue to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, I think we can all pray that God continues to bless the United States, the United States of America. That's our desire. We want God to bless this country. And the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And when we make the, the, the Lord Jesus the Lord of our lives, the Lord of this country, he does something. Something happens when God is set up in his rightful place over our nation. Well, this morning we're turning our attention back to a very familiar psalm, to what is by far the most beloved of all of the Psalms, Psalm 23. Um, I shared with us last weekend that um, Psalm 23 is actually a microcosm of the entire message of the Bible. So when you come to Psalm 23, 
what you actually are experiencing in the message of Psalm 23 is a snapshot of God's intended life for us in him. Now, I use that word intended very intentionally. This is not a snapshot of everyone's life in God, but it is a snapshot of the intended life that we are to experience in God. It's what his desire is for each and every one of us. I also shared last weekend that Psalm 23, of all of the Psalms, is the most intimate of Psalms. It's the most personal of Psalms. This is where, by the way, that I chose the title for this series, 23 and Me. Because you cannot read Psalm 23 without recognizing its intimacy, how personal it is to each and every one of us. So I want to read it in its entirety, all six verses this morning, and I want to emphasize the words me, my, and I. Every time that word appears, notice how personal this psalm is. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is a messianic psalm. In other words, what Psalm 23 does is it actually gives us a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ came and announced that he was God in flesh, he chooses the language of Psalm 23, he chooses the imagery of a shepherd to announce that God had come in the flesh. John chapter 10, verses 11 and verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. With these words... Jesus is actually declaring that he is the embodiment of the shepherd with whom David was in relationship. In other words, he's actually saying, I am the one that was the good shepherd to David. I am now come in the flesh so that you can now see and experience and hear and touch and handle God's presence among you. He uses very careful language here. 
What Jesus does is he first of all says, I am. That word, that combination of words was only ever used by God alone. No other person used the word I am, that phrase. But throughout the Old Testament, whenever God wanted to make himself known, how could he characterize who he was? The fullness of his essence. Like, how does he select one thing to say about who he was? So he said, I am. I am that I am. And Jesus chooses that language to say, I am. Now notice what he says, the good shepherd. Elsewhere, Jesus had said this. He had said, no one is good but God alone. So no one can declare that they are good but God alone. And yet he says, I'm the good shepherd. What Jesus is doing here is he's emphasizing, he's punctuating something. He's saying, listen, God, the God shepherd has now come in the flesh. He's here among you. Living, breathing, interacting, assuring you that God had not forgotten you. Now, this language of the shepherd is actually carried throughout the entire Bible. It's carried even throughout the New Testament of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is not just called the good shepherd in the New Testament. Jesus is also called the great shepherd. So Hebrews actually tells us this, chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, the final chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What makes Jesus the great shepherd? It's that he didn't just come and live among us as the God shepherd. It's that he died and was raised back to life. Not given his old life, but given an entirely new life. And, and, and that alone qualifies him to be called not just a good shepherd, but a great shepherd because he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And then Peter, when he writes his letters, he actually uses another term to talk about the shepherd. It's actually a passage that I have in my office on a cross that sits right behind my desk on the credenza behind me. And every so often, like I did this week, I'll turn around and I'll just read the words of this text of Scripture because it's a reminder as Peter is writing his epistle, what he's saying is he's writing to all of those who are elders and leaders of God's church. And he's saying, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that you are who you are because of who he is. I want to remind you that you are not really the shepherd. I'm the shepherd. You're simply an under-shepherd. But be careful in your role. Be careful you don't forget who you are. Be careful you remember who I am. And Peter writes his words in 1 Peter 5, and here's what he says in verses 2 through 4. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must but because you're willing, 
as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, when the chief shepherd appears, the one who's over all the other shepherds, the one who has the right to evaluate how well a shepherd is doing, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Listen, I remind myself of these words because I recognize that God has given to me a very sacred trust. He's placed sheep in the care of this community. We talked last weekend about the role and responsibilities of the shepherd. Listen, if you weren't here last weekend, I would urge you to listen to that message because it helps us to understand how powerful and how important the roles are that the shepherd plays. But I remind myself of these words because I recognize that what I do, even though God has entrusted a flock to my care here, I cannot do it for you. I must do it for him. I must serve him. I've often said it this way. I, I cannot please every person at Grace Crossing Church, but I can love every person. And so I make it my goal to please one. I'll please the Lord, and I'll love you the best I can. But at the end of the day, I have a chief shepherd that I'll give an account of my life to, of how well I shepherded, how well I was an example, what motivated me, and how well I served according to his calling and his entrustment into my life. And so this morning, we want to pick up this theme of Psalm 23. And we want to talk about this idea of what happens in our lives because we have not just a good shepherd, not just a great shepherd, but we have a chief shepherd who actually is going to honor all of us one day with a crown because we're faithful. So this past week, I had somebody that was here last week and a couple that were recently in Thessalonica, Greece. And while they were there, they, they saw... Um, a shepherd with his sheep. They sent me the, the footage early this week, and I asked them if I could have permission to share it with you this morning because it's a beautiful illustration of what we're talking about in Psalm 23. And I want you just to take a look at the footage of a shepherd with the flock of his sheep following him. Think about these words where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, where David said, the Lord is my shepherd. One lone shepherd being followed by the flock of sheep. Now let's return to the words of Psalm 23, verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything else that we're going to talk about in this series, everything else hinges on those five words. Everything cascades from those five words. In other words, here's what it means. If you cannot say, the Lord is my shepherd, then you cannot declare that you are his sheep. If you're not following him, if you're not trusting him, if you're not in an intimate relationship with him, 
it means that you're really wayward. Everything comes and collapses from this one. Because if, you can, if, if I cannot say that the Lord is my shepherd, then I cannot lay claim to any of the benefits that we're going to talk about in this series. And there's many of them. These are incredible benefits that actually come all out of those five words. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can lay claim to everything else we're going to read in these six verses. And so where last weekend we talked about the, these first five words, this week I want to concentrate on the next four. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In the original language, there were really two meanings of this word want. The first meaning was, I lack nothing. In other words, I have everything I could possibly ever need. The second meaning is that I am deeply satisfied. In other words, I am fully at a place of fulfillment and satisfaction in God alone. Listen, there is a place in God that is beyond want. There is a place in God where we become so deeply content, fulfilled, and satisfied that we can declare with the psalmist, what more could I possibly want? That's really what David's saying. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and because the Lord is my shepherd, what more could I possibly want or need in my life? I like the way the the Passion Translation captures this verse. Psalm 23, verse number 1, the Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. We talked about that last weekend. I always have more than enough. So when David pens these words, David actually is writing these words with those two concepts in mind. He's likely writing, I shall not one, thinking about both. I lack nothing, and I'm deeply satisfied. And so I want to unpack those a little bit for us this morning. And I want us to think about the promise, the first benefit that you and I enjoy, our response to the Lord as our shepherd. And here's our response, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. Now, if we are honest this morning, you and I would both have to admit that we often confuse our needs with our wants, don't we? I sold my motorcycle several years ago, and I keep telling my wife, I need another motorcycle. Do I need another motorcycle, or do I strongly desire? I see some men out there shaking their head, and I agree with you. The reality is we often call our strong needs, or our strong wants and desires, we call them needs, and we get them confused. 
1943, a psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow wrote a paper entitled The Theory of Human Motivation, and in that he talked about our five primal needs, that every person is instinctively born with certain needs. And I would contend that we spend the lion's share of our lives trying to not only have them met, but have many other things that we call needs met that are nothing more than just wants. If the Christian life is anything, I would submit to us this morning that the Christian life involves giving up our perceived wants in order to get what we truly need in life. Let me say that again. If the Christian life is anything, I believe it is about giving up our perceived wants in order to gain what we truly need. And here's the reality. Only God knows what we truly need. So Jesus models this for us in two different places in the Gospels. He actually illustrates what this looks like for us. And he gives us a role model to follow. The first illustration that we have comes when Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry. He is baptized, led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he then is tempted for 40 days. So the first experience comes from the wilderness while he is fasting. And there he is tempted at three different levels. He is tempted to be powerful. He is tempted to be prominent. And he is tempted to be prestigious. Which, by the way, you can collapse nearly every temptation in one of those three categories. In life, we are always tempted at those three points. To be powerful, to be prominent, to be prestigious. And what does Jesus do in the wilderness while he's tempted? He actually defines his wants and, and, and actually says, these are not needs, these are wants. Do I want bread? Yes. Do I need it? No. Because God will supply what I need. Do I need people to respect me? Do I want it? Yes. Do I need it? No. Do I want to be admired? Do I want to be worshipped? Do I want to be a person who others look to? Yes, but do I need it? No. And he actually models something really powerful for us there. The second illustration actually comes three and a half years later at the end of his earthly ministry, just hours before his life would end. This time, it's not a wilderness, it's a garden. And in the garden, Jesus is not fasting, he's praying. And do you remember what he does there? he actually expresses his wants to God. He says, God, I want you to take this cup from me, this cup of suffering. God, I want you to remove all the pain. Do not make me drink this cup. But then he follows each time he prays, three times, he follows it up with these words. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. I think Jesus gives us there a profound way to pray. 
In fact, it is the way that I believe God wants us to learn to pray. Because here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is praying, God, I don't just want my wants to be fulfilled. Rather, I want what you know that I need. Now, there is an enormous difference between those prayers. God, give me what I want, and God, give me what you know I need. I think as we mature in prayer, I think we start to pray like Jesus. We stop praying what we want, and we start praying what God knows that we need. So think about it in your own life. Think about your prayers of late. Are those prayers prayed about what you want, or are they prayed surrendered to what God knows that you need? When we end this morning, we're going to circle back to this. Because I think this is the essence of what the psalmist is saying here. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I have everything I need, and only God alone knows what it is that I need. Now, there's a second aspect I believe David had in mind when he said, I shall not want. And it's this, because the Lord is my shepherd, I am deeply and fully satisfied. What David does in Psalm 23 is David actually gives a voice to the sheep. I mean, think about it. I shared this last weekend, but David was likely a a 16 or 17-year-old boy responsible for keeping watch over his father's flock out in the fields. And it's there that David pens these words. He doesn't write them as a skilled shepherd. Instead, he writes them as a dependent sheep. And one day in the field, David is watching the sheep. He's looking at them. They had been well watered. They had been well fed. They had been guided and guarded and loved and cared for by his own skill. And he's watching them lay in the pasture, deeply satisfied and deeply fulfilled. And he writes the words, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Listen, you cannot separate those two statements. They, they go hand in hand. And here's what I mean. If there's only one thing you remember about this morning's talk, please never forget this. The confidence in the shepherd determines the satisfaction and contentment in the sheep. Let me say it again. The confidence in the shepherd determines the level of contentment in the sheep. David is saying, listen, I am so fully confident in God that I am also fully and deeply content in God. It's not just good ideology. That's not an ethereal statement. It's biblical. Because listen, biblical contentment is not having circumstances in your life be favorable. That is not contentment. Contentment doesn't mean the stars line up. 
Contentment is not the result of everything going your way and having favorable outcomes in your circumstances. No, contentment is having full confidence in the character and resting in the character of the shepherd so that you can fully relax in his arms and you can be at rest in him. Now David, throughout the Psalms, actually gives this same concept of contentment over and over again. It was a big theme of David. In fact, elsewhere in the Psalms, he actually gives us another image and illustration of what it looks like when you are at rest in the character of God and you're fully relaxed. This illustration is very different from the shepherd and the sheep. You mothers here are going to really appreciate this one. Because David this time is likely watching his wife, who had just nursed their newborn child. And he pens these words in Psalm 131. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. I remember what those days were like. I remember watching our little children cry and fuss and squirm and rutch and, and do all the other things they're doing, trying to what? Find satisfaction. And there's nothing like looking at a beautiful child who has just become fully satisfied, has fallen asleep in its mother's arms. There is nothing more relaxing, nothing, they cannot get to a better place of full contentment. Their belly is full, they're fully trusting, and they're at rest. That's what David's saying. He's saying, this is my heart before God. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I am fully content. Listen, contentment should be the trademark of every child of God who has placed their full trust in the arms of God. When we are trusting in the arms of God, when we are relaxed fully in his arms, our hearts are so content that we are like the sheep in the pasture. We're like the child that's just been weaned. Paul the Apostle talked a lot about the trademark of contentment. He says this in Philippians, chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. I have learned to be content. Notice, whatever the circumstances, favorable or unfavorable. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And what, what, what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying it doesn't make a difference. My contentment is not determined by my circumstances. My circumstances do not impact my contentment in God. I am there because God has given me strength to be there. I am fully satisfied, fully content. And there's one final passage I want us to look at. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. 
Paul also pens these words. True godliness with contentment is itself self great wealth. Do you want to know who the richest people are on earth? It is not those who have the most zeros behind their bank account number. The wealthiest people here on the earth are those who have learned contentment with godliness. When we get to the place where godliness with contentment is happening in us, we are experiencing great wealth. Our bottom line is going up. Our net worth is increasing in God. He goes on to say, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food or clothing and clothing, let us be content. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who knows everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I am greatly delighted. I am fully satisfied. My heart is at rest. I am fully relaxed and content in the character of my shepherd. And therefore, I don't need anything else. God is enough. A shepherd is enough. You say, how do we ever get to that place in our life? How can we say what David said? Well, I think we can begin to make choices today that place our dependence not on the things that we have in life, but on who God is. Because at the end of our life, that will be all we have, is God. That'll be it. We'll have God and we'll have relationships, those that God has brought into our lives. But none of them go with us into eternity. But God's there. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I can lay claim to this benefit. I shall not want. I'm going to ask you this morning to um, just do what David said in Psalm 131. Quiet yourself and become calm before him. I'm going to ask you to lay aside whatever you have in your hands right now, and I'm going to ask you to place yourself in a, in a position of being present with God. And for the next couple of moments, we're going to quiet ourselves, as the psalmist said. And here's what I'm going to ask you to sit with this morning as we prepare to close our service. I'm going to ask you this morning to sit with this question. What is it that I have been wanting from God that I need instead to start praying, God, give me what you know I need? What is that thing in our lives that we have been so consumed with that we've got to have this? Things have to turn out this way. The circumstances have to change here. And God, I want it. I want it. I want it. Nothing wrong with expressing that as long as we can follow it by saying, God, do not give me what I want. Instead, give me what you know I need. That's what Jesus did. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.